Let's, uh, let's just have a short prayer and honor dads in so doing. Let's pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you today for uh, the dads, the stepdads, the mentors, the uh, grandfathers who have played a significant role in our formation, both in faith and in our views towards life and, and in who we are. And God, we, we thank you so much for uh, allowing us to be um, impacted by some of the most important people we'll ever meet, in particular our dads or our grandfathers. And so, Lord, I would pray that you'll continue to bless and honor uh, our, the fellows' attempts at being a good parent, a good dad, a good grandfather, a, a good stepdad. Lord, I pray for those, especially today, who perhaps uh, have lost their fathers, and, and this is a bittersweet uh, moment for them. But, God, we just thank you for instituting uh, this relationship within the family of our dads. We thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> The Bible's dynamic duos is what we're doing for a few weeks, and last week uh, we, we looked at Paul and Barnabas and the fierce faith they had with one another, which allowed them to uh, bring their dynamism to uh, a culture. And today we're going to look at a couple of uh, women, namely Ruth and Naomi, and talk about the power of lasting loyalty. And so uh, we, we take uh, the passage from a book called Ruth. And uh, what we'd like to do is have you turn to the book of Ruth in your Bibles, if you have them, Ruth chapter 1, 1 to 18. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, just look to the screen. But what we'll do while the scripture is read is we'll stand and face the middle of the room. So if you do that, Jason, uh, Huff's going to be reading for us. And uh, hopefully this is somewhat of a familiar story, but if not, it's a really cool story of lasting loyalty. Ruth 1, 1 to 18. When you're ready, Jason. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Emelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephorites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Emelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left there with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And they lived there for about 10 years. Both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in, in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughter-in-laws prepared to return home from there. With her two daughter-in-laws, she left the place where they had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. She kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for you, uh, is more bitter for me than it is for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. 
At the end, they wept aloud, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, and even if death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Thanks a lot, Jason. You can have a seat. As I said, it's a series about dynamic duos, and they're really biblical characters whose relationships are great examples for us to imitate. Now, if you weren't here last week, Pastor Chuck launched the series and uh, talked about fierce friendship using Paul and Barnabas as an illustration, but also he gave us a lot of illustrations of the dynamic duos of movie, screen, TV, and I wanted to just, this is the review. This saves you half an hour from last week. And you recognize most of them, all dynamic duos. I would also uh, like to publicly apologize uh, for Chuck's use of uh, extreme Green Bay Packer pictures <laughs> that I know offended some of you pretty deeply. So I apologize on his behalf. Chuck is not here, uh, so I figured it was, it was fair game. You know, we joked afterwards, there really are no Chicago Bear dynamic duos in Chicago Bear history that I could have used, so, so be it. Now, this feels like a soft subject, friendship. And we could end the service with a group hug right now and call it a day. But here's the deal. Um, it seems these days that deep, lasting, committed friendships are more and more difficult to come by. Uh, it may be your observation, as it, is our, as it is ours, that we're struggling in the area of, of friendship development and maintaining and sustaining those friendships. Even within extended families, you hear the stories. Maybe you're living the story. It seems we're more hesitant to commit to friendships, perhaps because we were burned once or twice, or we're dealing with these insecurities, or an inability or unwillingness to communicate, or in some cases, we're just, we lack self-awareness. Um, what do you do when you experience conflict in a friendship? And so more and more of us are walking away sooner and sooner from relationships that have incredible potential, but we choose not to pursue. You, you've seen this verse. This is the classic verse, the foundational verse of the friendship factor in Scripture. The proverb author says, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother, or I might add, sister. I want you to imagine just for a moment, what if we all had several of those types of friendships? Now, there's some of you that love being loners and rugged individualists, so you'd prefer not to relate to anyone. Okay, we'll grant you that at least for a moment. But what is it that shapes that kind of relationship? Imagine a friend that sticks closer than the closest family member to you. And if you have these kind of relationships, offer a quick prayer of thanksgiving to God because you may be in rarefied air these days. One of the key ingredients, biblically speaking, of friendship is loyalty. Now, the classic example of two friends uh, sticking closer than brothers are David and Jonathan, right? 
But, but as you ponder loyalty and think about your friends throughout the next few minutes as we look at this subject, I want you to reflect on your friendships currently, your friendships past. You can journey all the way back to your childhood if you prefer. But which of your friendships today reflect a deep-seated loyalty? And how did that evolve? You think about it, how do we become loyal friends? Uh, it generally happens through, through a time or season of significant need or perhaps a crisis or some form of adversity or even if you survive a conflict with that person. Somehow that cements a relationship. Or some of you have these friends since childhood, lifelong friends, and it's just the passage of time. You've just stayed connected to that one or two or three persons, and to this day, you sense their loyalty. You know, I've got one, I've got one friend, <laughs> no, from my junior high years that we still communicate, that I still communicate with. It's one. I mean, I had more than one friend, but it's tough to sustain a lifelong friendship. Let's take a look at Ruth and Naomi, this dynamic duo. And I thought there's no better story for Father's Day than a story that includes a mother-in-law. Right? Now, Ruth, the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Now here, fellas, this is for you. This is a Father's Day discussion question I thought would be awesome for you to, you know, handle. We'll, we'll probably spend a few moments now discussing it. You can talk about it over lunch. Let me ask for a show of hands. How many of you guys have a lousy relationship with your mother-in-law? I really didn't mean for you to raise any hands. <laughs> you can have that chat over lunch. Um, I better move on here. During the period of the judges, which to put it in a historical perspective is about a thousand years before Jesus lived, the, the background of the story is a widespread famine takes place in the area, including the tribal area of Judah, which is near Jerusalem. There's a couple, if you were following Jason as he read, their names were Elimelech and Naomi, and they had two grown sons from a little town called, did you catch it? You may have heard of it, Bethlehem. They went to wait out the famine in the tribal area of Moab. It took about a 50, it was a 50 mile trip, north and east, south and east, you had to go around the Dead Sea to get there. But what happens is almost very soon after uh, they arrive in the tribe of Moab, in that region, the husband, Elimelech, dies. And Naomi's left with her two sons, which isn't devastating culturally. A, a woman like that could survive with sons, grown sons. They, the sons, both married Moabite women, which, by the way, it's a rabbit trail that was really forbidden in Old Testament terms between Jews and Moabites, but that's another story. The two women they married, the Moabites, or, or, I keep wanting to say Oprah, Orpah and Ruth. Get this, 10 years after that, approximately, both sons died of undetermined causes. It's terrible. Culturally, a woman in that position is, won't know where to turn. And so Naomi, Naomi is left without her husband and her sons in an area with no extended family or lifelong friends. Now, as the story continues in Ruth 1, over time, the famine situation improves in Judah, so Naomi decides to return home to family and friends. Okay, so they're ready to go back, and Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws with her. Again, a cultural expectation. 
sometime early in the journey, who knows when in the journey, Naomi in a dramatic moment turns to her daughter-in-laws and says this in Ruth 1 verse 8. And this is pivotal if you've ever read the story of Ruth. She says to them, go back each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. Now, let me give you the quick Hebrew vocabulary, vocabulary lesson that we've shared before that really provides cool insight into the nature of loyalty within friendships, within family relationships. The key word in verse 8, and we underlined it twice, is kindness. The first time Naomi uses it, she's invoking God's commitment to her daughter-in-laws. The second time she uses it describes the daughter-in-law's commitment to their mother-in-law. The word in both cases is what? That's a hint. It's not a cold. Chesed. We've talked about it from time to time here. H-E-S-E-D. It's honestly, what's awesome about this word, it's virtually impossible to translate if you're looking to translate it with one word. No single word in English captures its meaning. In fact, it's best described as a cluster of words. The Old Testament benchmark, the high bar for relational commitment is this word, Hebrew, chesed. And these are some of the words that it implies. Kindness, loving kindness, mercy, steadfast love, grace, loyalty, and loyal love. And I would argue one of the strongest facets of this word is loyalty. Now, now here's what happens in the Old Testament. God demonstrates chesed with his people relentlessly. It defined their relationship. There's no other word in the entire Bible, I would argue, that better describes the depth of God's commitment to his people than chesed. God chose his people. He protected his people. He sustained his people. He forgave his people. He forgave his people. He forgave his people. And he forgave his people. Again and again and again. That's chesed. That's no lightweight commitment. And it is, in addition, that same word is used many, many times describing a deep relationship between friends or family. It is the epitome, the apex of depth of relationships. Now let me quickly go to the New Testament. It's a different language. It's Greek uh, for the record today. The New Testament benchmark for relational commitment is, the noun is agape. You've probably heard that. Agape. The verb, for those of you that care, agapo, agapao. Now there are a variety of words for love in the New Testament, but they're very specific. There's a one-to-one -one correspondence in these words. This one means unconditional, selfless love. So when Jesus says this, you can understand what he's saying. A new command I give you in John 13, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And you know where I'm leading you. You know exactly what term Jesus is using in every one of those instances. In addition to that, when, God said, when, when Jesus said, God so loved the world, and Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Every time he uses that kind of language in that kind of context, he's using the word agape or the verb form. And the depth of God's commitment to us, according to Jesus, is the same depth of commitment that we demonstrate within our friendship for others. Take a good look at that verse. If we're created in the image of God, we have the potential to love as God loved to serve as God served, to be loyal as friends as God has been loyal. 
And again, here's the significance. As followers of Jesus, not only do we have the potential for deep relationships with that kind of servant-hearted, trusting loyalty, among other things, it's the expectation for us as followers of Jesus to commit to other people, to friends and family at that level. We will love just as God loved us because we're imitators of Jesus. The series is about dynamic duos. Have you ever heard of Batman and Robin? This is for those of you that weren't here last week. See, it's an interesting story. Batman and Robin get all the notoriety, all the action, and all the girls. But you know who the real hero is for Batman and Robin? This guy. How many of you know this guy? How many of you know his name? Alfred Pennyworth. Thank you. If you know this name, there's a good chance you're watching too many superhero movies, but that's another topic. Here's Alfred Pennyworth. Take a good look. Different actors have portrayed him. You see the, the uh, Lego version. Behind the scenes, he's the reason for the success of Batman and Robin. He becomes Bruce Wayne, Batman's legal guardian early in Bruce Wayne's life, and then becomes his general helper, his surrogate father figure, his medic, his costume designer, comic relief, and sidekick to Batman. He is absolutely loyal. He is absolutely committed to seeing Batman thrive. That's what loyal friends do. I would argue without Alfred Pennyworth, we would have seen the last of Batman many movies ago. There is no more loyal friend in superhero movie history than Alfred Pennyworth. Now I know some of you are going to debate that after this service with me. Naomi's loyalty, her chesed, to her daughter-in-laws motivated her to give them permission to leave and return home. That's what loyalty looks like sometimes. Giving someone permission to say goodbye. So Naomi kissed the daughter-in-law's goodbye, and you read it, they had a cry fest. You know, if this were a made-for-TV movie, the violins swell here. And then what do the daughters-in-law say? Hey, stay in touch, Naomi. We'll email. We'll see you next Christmas. No, they respond by saying, no, we're going back with you to your people. By the way, that's what loyalty sounds like. And then Naomi says, and this is in verse 12, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? There's nothing for you in Judah and there's nothing you'll ever receive from me. And it's a poignant scene. And Orpah weeps, kisses her mother-in-law goodbye, and heads back to her extended family and friends in Moab. But then in verse 16, watch this. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. And then this famous verse, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. That, my friends, is what chesed sounds like in the flesh. That's what loyal love sounds like in a conversation between two loyal family members or friends. Looking at the story, I just want to highlight a few characteristics of chesed, try to flesh it out a little bit for us. 
And there's four, and I'll go through these briefly. First of all, chesed is an action, not just an attitude. See, loyalty isn't an agreement. It's not a feeling, it's not a mood, it's not an attitude. You'll know it because you see it. You'll observe it. You'll experience it. And loyalty as a friend or family member is powerful when you're on the receiving end of it. And something happens when you see that friend go the distance for you, go the extra mile for you, fight through the conflict, fight through the messiness of your relationship and find their way to the other side. Now, disloyalty within friendships and family is just as tangible. In fact, ironically, disloyalty, I believe, is very difficult to put in the past. Some of us struggle today in our relationships because of an individual or a combination of individuals that were disloyal in the past, and we've been insecure about friendships ever since. We'll never be fooled again. Loyalty or disloyalty can transform relationships. The second characteristic is chesed intervenes, it rescues, and it sacrifices. It's going to cost us something. The third quality is that chesed demonstrates unconditional kindness and generosity. And the fourth is chesed is unwaveringly dependable. Just want you to reflect on your relationships these days. How many of your friendships fit those characteristics? Listen, if you've got a number of friends that you say, man, that describes Ron and Bob and Steve, I would encourage you just to let those guys know in an appropriate way at some point, hey, thanks, man. <laughs> thanks for being there. Because uh, maybe not many other people were when you're going through a difficult time. What transforms Ruth and Naomi into a dynamic duo is not their superpowers nor their spectacular victories over the forces of evil, but simply a fundamental commitment to be loyal friends no matter what the cost. See, and here's the deal. There's a lot of friends and family members with whom it's easy to demonstrate chesed because it's always reciprocated. That's not tough. I love loving people who love me back. But then there are those friends you know what I'm talking about? Those family members who between just you and me here, we can't stand because they've either wronged us, they've manipulated us, they're clueless. And quite frankly, we don't care if we ever see them again, in the name of Jesus, of course. But here's the challenge, folks. In places like this, those people are the ones that as followers of Jesus were especially called to demonstrate chesed with. I wish it weren't so, even if loyalty isn't reciprocated. See, in our world, loyalty tends to be conditional, doesn't it? Usually, with most people. Friendship is fleeting these days. That's why we're talking about it these few weeks. Let's go to Facebook briefly, shall we? Not literally. We are all only a few deletes away from being friendless, right? <laughs> on Instagram, it's more powerful on Instagram. I love Instagram because people follow me on Instagram. They follow me. I follow them. It's a deeper relationship, even though I don't know who they are. 
And that's a degree of loyalty. Me follow you, I follow him. Uh, but what if they unfollow me? What does that say about me? Should that bother me? I'll unfollow them. Uh, personally, I'm a big LinkedIn fan. LinkedIn? It's more of a professional website. Um, you maintain this professional relationship with people so that when we delete each other, it really doesn't sting as much. It feels more like a business transaction. And so I can routinely get rid of people in my life on LinkedIn and not have any guilt whatsoever. I mean, it, it, there's a weirdness to what we're doing here, folks. I mistakenly signed up for Quora some time ago, thinking it was something else. And I have people checking in with me. I have no idea. It's just weird. Snapchat, I'm lost. I'm lost. See, culturally today, and if you're in the younger two generations seated in this room, you're only a few deletes away from losing your identity, let alone your friendships. And this is kind of silly, isn't it? Until we start killing ourselves these days because we're feeling so isolated and alone due to my internet presence being attacked. Folks, we've got to talk about this more often in places like these. See, for Christ followers, uh, that conditional loyalty is beyond comprehension because, because of our commitment to Jesus, who loves me unconditionally, loyalty is unconditional. There's a monumental distinction between you and th this room full of people and how the world perceives loyalty and friendship. It's monumental. But let's be careful we don't blur the lines because we're also quick to put the hammer down and vote someone off the island just because they've wronged us. Why unconditional loyalty? We're unconditionally loyal to others because God was unconditionally loyal to us first. And you're saying, hey, you don't know my mother-in-law. You don't know my father-in-law. Humbly submitted, then I would say, then you don't know God. Why unconditional loyalty? Because he was unconditionally loyal to us first. Here's the verse Jason started the service with this morning. Lamentations 3.22. When Jason read it, in that particular translation, it said, great love of the Lord. This version translation says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know what steadfast love or great love is translated into or out of, don't you? Chesed. The steadfast love of the Lord for you, towards you, will never end. His mercies will never end. They're new every morning, including this morning. And to know that God loves us is to know that God offers us his unconditional loyalty. He is with us. He will never forsake us. And God's chesed towards us means he'll always be holding on to us more tightly than we hold on to him. That's the power of loyal love. So I want you to think about your loyal friends this morning. And don't think about your disloyal friends or your uh, 
average friends or your acquaintances, who are those men or women, young people, boys or girls, that you would consider truly loyal? And why did that person come to mind for you? And, and then a tougher question, how loyal of a friend am I? When crunch time begins. Folks, this is not a warm, fuzzy, soft topic. This is life-giving, life-changing. When we begin to express the love of the Father in the same way to the people around us. Let me leave you with one last story. You know this story. The story is about 2,000 years old. Jesus is in a room with his disciples. He's um, sharing the Last Supper with them. And they just concluded the Last Supper portion of the evening. And uh, Jesus comes out with some fairly outlandish stuff. He says, listen, one of you is going to betray me. No, is it I, is it I, is it I? And then he said, you're all going to run away. You're all going to run away in some way soon. Peter, Simon Peter, the rock, you know, the guy with the mouth, with the attitude, says, maybe these guys will run away, but as for me, I'm loyal friend numero uno. A few hours later, the rabble comes to arrest Jesus, and Jesus and the 12 are there. And again, if you know what happens that evening, all the disciples bail, including the one, Peter, that said, hey, I'd never do it. The story goes on a few hours later. There's a huddling around a fire near where the Sanhedrin is trying Jesus, this kangaroo court, and someone recognizes Peter as a disciple. and said, aren't you with this Jesus guy? And Peter said, no, I, I don't know him. I've never met him. And he does that three times. He denies he even knows Jesus, let alone follow Jesus. And he runs off into the night and he weeps. It's a short time later that the story continues. Now, there's no recorded moment in rabbinic history in those two or three centuries where a disciple is reinstated after betraying or denying a rabbi. Now, no, a, ra a disciple wouldn't consider that in the first place, but nowhere in recorded history. It was not only the end of a friendship for Jesus and Peter, it was the end of this dream of following in the footsteps of the greatest rabbi that perhaps ever lived. It was over. And Peter went back to fish, his former career. But again, if you know the story, Jesus goes north to the very spot, perhaps, where he called Peter the first time, and he seeks Peter out, and he restores his relationship, not only as a friend, but as a disciple. It was unheard of. It was unprecedented. But see, it was to be expected, because that's who Jesus is. See, Jesus was simply demonstrating the chesed of God in the flesh. And in the same way he's loyal to you, he'll rescue you over and over again. It, his love and his loyalty will be unconditional, unwaveringly dependable, not because of what we do or who we are, but because of who he is. It's an unbelievable story. But the relational challenge today is then to offer the same loyal love to the people around us, even when they're undeserving, whatever the cost. So before we write that person off, that friend, ex-friend, family member, that weirdo, 
Let's remember who we are. Folks, we're followers of Jesus here who model the unconditional loyal love all the way to the cross and he simply calls us to do the same. So I would suggest that's what it means to be a friend that sticks closer than a brother or a sister. Let's pray. Father, this is no easy thing when someone's wronged us, when we've written someone off, whatever the situation and circumstance, but God, through your power within us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God, allow us to rise above the conditional standards of love and forgiveness that the culture portrays and help us get to that rarefied air asking what would Jesus do? Father, today we thank you for all the dads in the room and elsewhere that demonstrated that kind of love for us. We thank you for the friends that we have, some seated in this room, some elsewhere across the country, maybe even around the world. God, we thank you and praise you for for seeing how they demonstrate chesed with us. But Lord, I would pray today, coming out of this passage in Ruth, that you'll allow us to be convicted and committed once again to being that loyal kind of friend that sticks closer than a brother or sister and looks a lot like Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Just go be the kind of friend that God has been to you. And go in peace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of his Spirit be with you every day this week, both now and forevermore. And all God people said? Amen. Amen.